Hello and welcome to the 123rd episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is two games, Steamworld Dig and Steamworld Heist by Image and Form Games. Ryan, who are you and what do you do? Hi there, Chris. It's great to be on your show. Uh, so my name is Brian Sugerson, and I run a, a studio called Image and Form. And um, what I get to do every day is talk to lovely people like yourself and uh, to a lot of journalists. And then if I'm very lucky, they let me in on the design process every, every once in a while. So you're, 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 you're basically... Um fronting the PR, if you will, or, or the, you're the public face of image and form. Is that right? Yeah, I'm the prettiest guy in the office, so <laughs> it's, that's, how it, that's how it works. You haven't I used... broken any cameras then? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> now, I, used to be, uh, I used to be the lead programmer, but then uh, just some very, very, ex- well, extremely talented people decided to work with me, and... Uh, and uh, from that day on, I've just decided to not code very much anymore. Okay. So okay. it's rather just uh, doing – it's sort of a flat structure at Image and Form, which means that everyone gets to pitch in on how the games are supposed to work. And how many so, of there are you then? Yeah, well, today there's 18 on the payroll. It's, nice. It's nice. Way too many people, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> And then uh, two interns. So there's, yeah, it's, uh, what do you call it? Almost two dozen, yeah, that's 20 a, people. It's a score. It's a score of people. It's yeah. a score. That's yeah. the word I was looking for, actually. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Nice, nice. Um, it's, it's amazing, uh, considering how much you've grown. But before we delve into that, let's delve into your history um, a little bit. How did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? Yeah, well, it actually goes a lot further back than you than you'd imagine. I'm obviously a lot older than you, Chris. So uh, in 19, uh, 1980, I was I was 12 or 13. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, I was about 10. So. Hey, okay, great. <laughs> so you know the times. Right? I know the times, it, yeah, yeah. And I would, I would sort of, um, if, if I had the uh, opportunity, I would sort of uh, spend all of my weekly allowance on uh, playing arcade machines oh yes yeah yeah yeah, i was i was brought up in not in a big city so there was very little to be had i would go and play um uh, space invaders or rally x or or dig dug or or any game like that um and unfortunately my weekly allowance wasn't that great or wasn't that huge so uh i would um I, I would take extra classes in school in in programming, and we had this amazing teacher who had brought the shittiest computer on the planet to the school. It was a, I think it was a Swedish computer called the ABC eighty. Right, and I was expecting to hear something like, um, oh, it's a TRS eighty or something like that, or something really <laughs> like some <laughs> some or Texas Instruments or Apple two maybe, but a Swedish it, machine, okay, yeah. Well, it sort of goes to it. It sort of tells you what it was because, like, Sweden was nowhere 
uh, near being on the map in, in terms of computer development. Right. So here was this effort called the ABC80, and it had uh, pixels as big as postage stamps, and uh, it could virtually do nothing at all. It didn't have, obviously, it didn't have an operating system. And so it would basically just uh, load the programs that we wrote for it. And uh, it was amazing going to the uh, arcades and playing these uh, these marvelous, marvelous, marvelous games. And then actually being able to make very, very simple games yourself. Okay. And so, the, so that's basically how I got into it. Uh, and uh, so much that I, um, after the ninth grade, I decided to study computer science or, or natural science with sort of uh, programming, which was, we were actually the first class in Sweden to do it. So it was me and a lot of really intelligent people. I was, I was really standing out in that crowd being a lot less intelligent than the rest. And uh, it was amazing that the stuff that we got to do there as well, because it just hadn't been done before. This is this is like in 1983, and and the Macintosh made like a huge breakthrough in 1984. So there was no no real operating systems to speak of, or any graphical operating systems at least. Yeah, uh, the- it was the pioneering days of the home computer, wasn't it? Yeah, that, it really that, was. That, that yeah. It was like a white heat of technology, um, of just a burst of... It didn't last very long. It no, about, it did not. <laughs> it was about three or four years of just just sheer insanity. I, don't know, I mean, I'm not sure if you... Forgive me for saying this, but in the UK, you must have heard of what was going on over here, right, at the time? Well, was it some scandal with the royal family? No, just saying about the... Uh, <laughs> you know, we had the ZX Spectrum, then we had the BBC, yeah. then we had the Amstrad, then we had the... Etc. 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 Yeah, you know, we had all these machines. I believe in in Sweden it was more Commodore sixty four, wasn't it? That's correct, and and it started out with the Commodore twenty. It was uh, Vic twenty. It was yeah. Vic twenty exactly. Yeah, yeah. VC twenty as the Germans had it yep. because Vic means something horrid over there. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, oh, really. <laughs> it means a but rude it... word. Yeah, Vic. They didn't call it Vic twenty over there. So. I've actually got a German. Vic oh 20 now I get here. it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm be, I'm slow here. Yeah. But it was it, so. My best friend actually got a Vic Twenty for his uh, um, for Christmas. Right. When he was a single kid, and I I had tons of siblings, so we rarely got anything nicer than woolen socks or anything. But he <laughs> he got a Vic Twenty for for Christmas, so he immediately he was a good friend. But he immediately became my very 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 special best friend in the universe so i could sit over at his house and and code on his vic 20 he wasn't really interested in it but he was just he was like um i I hope he's not hearing this but he was like that that guy in in harry potter the guy who gets everything for for christmas while harry potter gets to live on under the staircase yeah 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 so being a single kid i mean he was it was i think it was sort of like the uh the christmas gift for rich kids um, yeah. of the year, that yeah. year. So uh, he got it, and he learned how to, to switch the, the background color, I think. And I was, I was desperately trying to make games for it. Yeah, there was an extraordinary machine. I mean, the, the basic on those machines, the Commodore machines, was terrible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you ended up, you know, I couldn't never forget where you had to 
do poking. You have to poke yeah. the memory address. You have to poke memory, to exactly. To change the colour of the screen. Like, yeah. no, <laughs> no, why not colour? Put a number in, then change... But no, yeah, it was. It seemed to be the basic of uh, Commodore machines was written by engineers for engineers. Yeah. Or it was written for the people who wrote it. It was just terrible. <laughs> and it was just sort of sold because they could sell it, I think. Yeah. And and, yeah. and parents were – because kids were getting these machines, not adults really. Well, uh, well, we say that, but I've done some history and research and – yeah. Actually, adults did get these machines, but okay. typically for reasons we buy consoles now. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> they were playing games as well, but they were like flight sims and strategy games and that sort of thing. But but also they were like wanting to learn how to program themselves because yeah. their jobs required it and they were doing more and more, you know, certain fields, I felt. Yeah, exactly. There, there and certain people were doing that. But you're right. Generally, it was 12-year-olds in bedrooms. Right, but it was uh, it was remarkable, you know. It's, it's like all of a sudden you have this thing that that will do what it what you tell it to do. I mean, we, we I hadn't had anything like that prior to that. I was like, obviously, I just had woolen socks, but like <laughs> nobody I knew had had anything remotely as cool as that. So it, yeah. it was it was definitely the world was changing. You could sort of feel it. And you so obviously that you hooked you in, and you kept on working and working with these these eight bit machines with their massive ROMs compared to what the PCs have now. It's true, everyone. <laughs> they had huge ROMs in them. They had, they had right. basic in the ROM, yep. whereas now it's like I've got nothing. Come on, yeah, pour it in now. I've got nothing. <laughs> Unless it's a Mac, of course. But anyway, yeah. But yeah, but for me. For me, it was like this. So when I when I went to study computer science for real, then in 1983, and I was so excited about it, we had uh, our uh, our teacher was this guy. He was a math teacher, and he was at that time he was in his 60s, and uh, so he he told us our very first uh, lesson. He the he introduced himself, and then he said. He said his name, and then he said this sentence. He said, okay, just as long as you know, boys, it's now 1983, which means that all good computer programs have already been written. And it really sort of just killed me to hear that. So it actually meant that I, we got to code some cool things, but they were basically math programs, uh, there wasn't. We what an extraordinary supposed... thing to say. <laughs> I'm still sorry. I'm still shocked. That what... Yeah, it was so disheartening. Yeah, it's you know, just a ridiculous thing to say. <laughs> yeah, so... it's like something with Bill Gates saying, "No one's going to need any more memory than 640 kilobytes." Exactly right. Or, <laughs> or like there was this Swedish minister of infrastructure who got went on television saying, uh, "Well." Just so you know, the internet is going to go away. It's it is a passing fad, right? So it's uh, it, don't get too attached to it. So yeah, it it sort of just killed my because also the tasks we were given were so uninteresting. Here was like when I was twelve, I was programming games, and here we were actually making uh, statistics programs and so on because that's probably more in line with uh, my teacher's field. He would understand if we wrote good programs or not. 
you, it's, it never ceases to amaze me how close-minded people can be, um, especially in the teaching profession. Uh, story, no offense to teachers listening to this, uh, <laughs> but uh, I know a few, uh, and uh, I know of of, and it just I don't get it. Why would you? Yeah. <clears throat> why would you say such a horrible thing? It's like. It's like well, maybe this, maybe that was I don't know, but maybe that was his perspective. I, I mean, he it's was just so ill-informed and ignorant. It's just here's a know. person who's meant to be sharing knowledge, and they say, "Oh, by the way, all inventions." It's like that patent office clerk yeah. in 1899, <laughs> which I'm not sure if it's true. I think it is. I'm going to say it is in the United States, saying, "Oh, everything's been needs to be invented and now been invented." <laughs> Apart from pen- yeah, apart from penicillin and the internal, <laughs> the internal combustion engine, and you know, and nuclear fission, and I could go on. Apart from all those things, or or smartphones, or smart- right? Well, I mean- there's a whole bunch of technology. That's why I did do smartphones because there's a whole yeah. bunch of technology in there. I was breaking it yeah. down further there. Yeah, I'll take your point. exactly. But so, but obviously, you know, despite this. Uh, this uh, in- inspiring teacher, in inverted commas, uh, you, yeah. you you broke through anyway, and you carried on. No, actually, I didn't. Oh. I was going to say because what happened was I was so disheartened by this. So I, he was he was an, he was an excellent math teacher. Really, he was a, right. a really good right. math teacher. But but like as far as computers went, I sort of lost interest for a while. And when when I graduated from what do you call that in Britain? Uh, that sort of when you're like going from 15 to 17 or 15 uh, to 18. Well, in the UK, we have it so you've finished your GCSEs. Um, mm-hmm. But that's basically just before, in everywhere else in the world, it's just before you graduate from high school. Right, right exactly. Right. So We don't have so, that here, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> all right, okay. But the equivalent of graduating yeah, from high school, yeah. I was so sort of dejected. I didn't, I wasn't interested in computers anymore. Right. They were, they were, um, yeah, they were just meant to write um, statistics programs. programs. Wow! <laughs> so, so actually, and and like going through high school, I was I sort of uh, uh, went into a, or sort of uh, became friends with a, a lot of uh, poets and stuff. So I actually went to study literature right. for for a few years at university. Okay. Uh, it was it was great fun, but it was just too much red wine. So uh, <laughs> I was was never really focused. Um, so what what happened is I dropped out of uh, university and tried to sort of uh, think about what I was supposed to do with my life. And while I was deciding, I decided to take a very long trip in Asia with a backpack, and it was marvelous. It was a fantastic experience when I was uh, 19 or something and I was away for seven or eight months and it was, it was brilliant. There was, there's so many fond memories and just so much, um, not any drugs involved, but I was, I was going to, because I was going to say that I just realized so many things about myself while I was on the, um, traveling like that. So when I got back home, I, I immediately wanted to go on a trip like that again but uh, it was it's more or less impossible to sort of raise that uh, the cash that I needed that quickly to do a second trip. So I was working double shifts at the Volvo uh, car factory, and uh, I just wasn't making enough money, and I was frustrated about it. And then I realized maybe I can go to Asia and work somewhere, and then I can experience 
the culture while I'm making money for the rest of the trip, right. if you understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that time, uh, we was, which was the late 80s, the only country I, that came to mind then, because China wasn't really where it is today. No, it wasn't. No. No. So, <laughs> so, I, went, so I went to Japan to work as an English teacher. It was, um, so I went to Japan very naively thinking that I would be able to pick up any high-paying job as an English teacher straight away. But then they, it turned out they had actually changed the immigration laws uh, the new year before I got there, meaning that you actually needed a, to, to teach English, you needed a university degree in English in a, because you needed to have on paper that you would be able to handle a job better than a Japanese person. Yeah, yeah. Made good sense because there was starting to uh, there was a, uh, a um, the influx of foreigners coming to Japan was sort of uh, starting to become notable yeah. or noticeable, yeah. and uh, they needed to regulate it somehow. So very, what very ended topical. up? Yeah, yeah very very <laughs> today, actually, yeah, and so yeah, I I was on a very very how do you say that? A silky smooth uh, short end compared to the poor people who are not uh, yeah. being allowed to Europe today. I know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. but uh, so what happened was I finally got a job at a, at a translation company and uh, I worked as a, a rewriter. So I ended up working with English. It was Japanese people uh, translating from Japanese to English and the English that came out was more often than not, uh, just not understandable. Yeah, so all your was, base belong to us, all that stuff. Uh, that's right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's dear. the perfect example. It is, right? yeah. Still, people love it. You know, it's, it's also quite a good game. Anyway, yes. Yeah, g right. is a good game. Anyway, yeah. It's, yeah, all your base belong to us. But uh, So you yep. you turned that sort of, sort of like half sort of understood sort of phraseology and like, I think I'm trying. I think I see what they're trying to do here, and uh, is that what you did? You basically sort of redid the grammar or put yeah, the grammar like, in the first place. Yeah. So probably it became totally uh, like the meaning of what they wanted to say was totally ex- like a hundred percent warped yeah, after yeah, I had yeah. been at it. But it was grammatically correct at least. I don't know so much it about was... Japanese, but I understand they stress certain aspects of language or things yep. that we go. Well, that's not important. <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. It's it's quite different, yeah. but so but what happened then was that I switched jobs and got into a new translation agency, and there I'd just been there for for a, a couple of months, and then uh, a representative for Apple came to the office to demonstrate uh, the new um, System Seven that came out in 1991. This right, is. right, and. <clears throat> The office was pretty Mac heavy, and it was the, my first encounter with Macintosh computers, and I just felt completely back in love with computers. Right. I was, I went crazy about about Macintoshes. I thought it was a marvelous machine. And then this app, Apple rep comes and shows System Seven, and demonstrates something unheard of, like a again a postage stamp size video uh, running on a computer screen it was uh, and also the ability to hook up um, a cd-rom drive to a computer meaning that you could have like massive storage 
to a personal computer. Right. And the CEO of the company where I worked, he was so blown away that he, he sort of lined all of us up the next day and said, okay, listen, like up, up until yesterday, we were a translation agency, but from today, we're a multimedia company. And Brian, you mentioned that you'd done some programming before, so you are now our lead programmer. <laughs> so it, it was, and then we started making these amazingly poor multimedia presentations that sold like hotcakes. It was, uh, it was, it was, became such uh, a thing in Japan, this yeah. multimedia. Okay, I remember some, I mean, the closest I can think of is the FMV games of the early 90s because oh look we've got cd-roms we've loaded storage capacity what should we do with them make yeah, really bad video games of fmv yeah brilliant <laughs> <laughs> that's how it was wow. and we made we made presentation and gamish things and they they were sold at at incredible uh, prices i mean they were so expensive for for the simplest things really right and uh, and uh, and i i didn't feel like a crook anyway because it was I was so excited to to be working with this, and I knew just everything there was to know about uh, the Macintosh computer. I was so uh, enamored by it. Right. Like I was, I would read, I would I would get every magazine I could get and read everything. I was I was back at being twelve years right. and make, making these simple games. It was it was fabulous. It was a great great time. Interesting. Uh, so just moving sort of like fast forward a little bit so we can move yeah. on to the next section <laughs> sorry That's about that cool. yeah. no, it's a fascinating story but you obviously came back to Sweden eventually um, yep. so what happened just sort of like you know, you you start making these presentations in the early 90s but early 90s that, that's when Doom came out I mean yeah yeah. Well, so it you w- must have been playing marathon <laughs> that, I was playing marathon like crazy yeah <laughs> Oh man, and and actually before Marathon, uh, Bungie came with a game called Pathways into Darkness, okay. which which was maybe not before Doom because I've I've never thought about checking this up, but in my head at least, Pathways into Darkness came before Doom and Wolfenstein. It was um, it it was uh, it was the first three D game that I ever saw, and it was uh, you we would laugh about it today when we look at it, yeah. but it was, yeah. it was a smack in the face. It was so fantastic. You know, it, this feeling of running around in a, in a maze shooting strange looking creatures. It was, if anyone listening to this has played pathways into darkness and knows how to get a hand, like get, get me a copy of that game. It, I would be so delighted to get it. It's uh I, it was it was super fascinating to get it. I was more impressed with that than I was with uh, Wolfenstein or Wolfenstein when that came out. Yeah, okay. It's not a game I'm familiar with. I mean, I thought Bungie. I mean, the only other game I knew about was Myth. Uh, yeah, I liked Myth, was one, great Myth too. one and two yeah. were really brutal, hard games, but <laughs> they, they, were, yep. they were good. They were they, that's what I knew them from because I was a PC yeah. user, so I didn't really know Marathon until it appeared on right. the 360 many years later. Oh, I see. All right. Well, I I didn't know anything about PC games at the time. I was only playing Mac games. So yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. <clears throat> but yeah. So let's fast forward. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. It's uh, uh, so yeah. Six years in Japan, then two years in San Francisco, and then 1997, I got back home and started up uh, uh, 
image and form, which was right. which which was then a um, a multimedia agency. We made multimedia presentations and gamish sort of uh, gamification things. Okay. And it was sort of like, yeah, this is what I want to do, but not quite because I want to I want to make games. Yeah, I mean, and 97, 98, that was a silly time, remember? I mean, that was when Half-Life arrived and yeah. Baldur's Gate arrived. And like, yeah. what the hell? <laughs> and, and then you feel like, damn it, I've missed this yeah. train because, because now these fantastic, these big productions are coming out and I should have been in one of those companies make, helping to make those yeah. games. Yeah. And and I wasn't here. I was stuck in Gothenburg, Sweden, making multimedia, gameish things, yeah, but not yeah. quite. Okay. And then the and then sort of that part of our business died out because the web, the um, websites started replacing multimedia presentations yeah, flash, in yeah, Flash, basically. And... Yeah, Flash came and yeah. it's like, oh wow, yeah, what yeah. a thing. Yeah, everyone hates it now, but <laughs> at the time. Yeah. We hated it then too because it was so buggy the whole time. Yeah, yeah but... it still is. That's the way everyone hates it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so that we did that for a while. And then um, in 2001, there was this Norwegian, uh, there was this girl that I knew who worked for a Norwegian publisher of, of children's games. She called me up and said, Listen, we have this game that is almost finished. It's a kids' game, an edutainment game. Um, it's almost done, but we, the developer has gone bankrupt, and we are. I think we we're just a month or two away in development. Do you think you could save this game? Just do the final things to it. We're almost done. Of course, she was lying through her teeth because there was a lot of work that needed to be done in in one or two months because the release date was set and everything. And but we pulled it off, and I. <clears throat> And I was so excited and I was begging them to give us more games to work, work on because this was games games. This was, oh, yes, it, right. okay. it, it was, it was kids game. Yes. Yeah. But it was, they behaved like games. Right. <laughs> they right. were, they were really game, game ish things. And, uh, or, or I, they were beyond game ish things. I would say they were real games. So they were puzzles and stuff that you needed to solve. And we need, we got to be creative with it. And they gave us more stuff to do, but when we had made twenty-five or thirty of those CD-ROM games, we we were really fed up with it. We were really like creatively, we we were extremely back, backwards, and technically too, we were we were making all these games in um, a, a program called Director. It was first Macromedia Director, and then it was Adobe Director, um, and. We were so fed up with making someone else's games that weren't fun anymore. And then the App Store came about uh, in 2007, 2008. And uh, we started making our first mobile games. And those games were the first, our first efforts weren't that great. And then we made a we weren't sure if we were going to continue to make mobile games. So we, we tried, tried out uh, a platform called the Nintendo DSi. Do you remember that one? Oh yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, still got one actually. Yeah. Oh, you do. Yeah, yeah. All right. Excellent. <laughs> we, we made a game for the DSi West store, which was a horrible place. It was, it was yeah. uh, Nintendo's answer to the app store. Basically. It was, yeah. 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 <clears throat> 
and uh, it was really hard to find stuff there. Mm. And uh, when we set out to make uh, a game for the DSi, it was just because we noticed that suddenly everyone was making games for mobile. And if we weren't making brilliant games, how were we ever going to stand out? And so we made a small game for the Nintendo DSi called uh, Steam World Tower Defense. And it's a tower defense game set uh, in a world where the humans are low lives and the robots, the steam-driven robots, are the good guys. And uh, we we made it very quickly, and it was a very small game, and we put it out at five dollars, I think, on the on the DSiWare store. Then the next year, in 2011, we made a game called Until for iOS, and that's a marvelous game. I, I'm very, very proud of Until. Uh, it was um, it's a real-time strategy game where you sort of mimic the behavior of ants, and it looks gorgeous and it plays beautifully and for the first time in our, our lives we were we were somebody we got apple uh, made it gave it some sort of feature and and we felt like rock stars for 72 hours and then <laughs> everything was gone yeah yeah and and then <clears throat> and then it turned turned into 2012 and we decided that we need to be doing something um something else we cannot risk uh making games for mobile paid games for mobile because it was switching from paid games to free to play yeah and, and you, you didn't want to do candy crush you just you're not going to do that yeah no we didn't want to make all that money exactly it yeah. was <laughs> not in line with our business no, <laughs> no it was um it, it was we didn't understand it and we if you remember the first free-to-play efforts, like for example, Smurf, Smurfville, Smurfville was that the name of it, mm. where where kids were buying Smurf berries like crazy, and right. their parents right. were were going bankrupt. Yeah, uh, it, we just—it was a nasty time for. Mm. It was everything was switching towards free-to-play, but it was really it really felt evil at the time yeah i mean there were some games that weren't free to play they were, they were paid they were paid to function yeah i mean that's what i called it paid to function like oh well you want to you want to mine this we're gonna have to wait 20 hours unless you give us you know three dollars if you give us three dollars then it will be done immediately but only if you give us three dollars right now yeah or if, if you give us twenty dollars it'll, yeah, then, it'll be then, done immediately then otherwise get the next four digs you know, no time at all. But after that, again, you're going to have to wait 20 hours. What? Right. <laughs> it's disgusting. But yeah, no, it, yeah. So at the time it was disgusting. But then, I mean, obviously that changed too. It's like I'm, yeah. I realize I'm going off on a tangent and well, uh, right. again here. But yeah, it's uh, there have been some some really worthwhile uh, um, free-to-play efforts, really, I think so. And I, I, I... One of them is um, uh, Clash of Clans because I think it's just so. Yeah, people meaty. do speak they, highly of that game. They do speak highly yeah, of it. There is yeah. there is a lot to do, and the only negative thing about it is that I've I spent so much time on that game because I refused to pay. Right, so yeah, yeah. like I would sit there sort of upgrading my stuff forever and ever and ever. But it it just it it had the right. I can see why people. Uh, would spend a lot of money on that game because um, 
um, not the aspect that that it gets you sort of addicted to it and you're paying for that reason. But, but they were, they would actually, they were actually giving away a lot of gameplay before you sort of ran into the, um, what do you call it? The speed bumps or, or the paywalls. It was, it was interesting to play before you, even before you considered paying for anything. So, I mean, just to sort of, pressing ahead you actually eventually dropped into making games to the 3ds is that right or yeah Yeah. that is that's it i mean 2012 everyone was uh, everyone i knew in in the in the swedish game industry at least and and every lecture i went to to uh, at gdc and so on it was more or less everything about mobile it was all about mobile how to make on mobile how to sort of uh, build difficulty curves and so on uh, for your free-to-play games etc it was um, um, we were the only ones worried it felt like that we wouldn't be able to make it on mobile so we in 2012 after ironically after we had had our first hit game with Antil um, we decided not to be on mobile anymore so in 2012 we sort of started looking around to see if if we could go elsewhere. So the 3DS was coming out, and um, it, the jury was still out on whether it was a hit or a fiasco in in early 2013. It hadn't really taken off. But then <clears throat> in spring 2013, uh, 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 Animal Crossing New Leaf came and just turned it into a a really desirable platform, I think. Obviously, a lot of people owned it before that, but it felt like a lot of non-Nintendo people were getting the 3DS just to play play that game. They were discovering the delights of Tom Nook. Yeah. (laughs) The foul, foul raccoon monster (laughs) that he is. I mean, you just walk in there like, do you want to borrow some money? Do you want, if you if you don't borrow any money, I'm gonna I'm gonna kneecap you. I'm gonna send my my nephews over, and they're going to kneecap you. Granted, he never actually says this in the game. That's what he ever, means, right? but he's 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 he, thinking it. He's thinking it. He's thinking it. Everyone so anyway. I know who's played Animal Crossing, you say the words Tom and Nook, they will try to strangle you. So what hap- what happened then, Chris? Yes, <laughs> was that by the time a lot of people were done with Animal Crossing, um, they were starting to sort of look around for something else to play. And and then in August two thousand thirteen, we released this game called Steam Will Dig for for the Nintendo three DS. Yes, and, and I um, I discovered it <laughs> while I was queuing up for Eurogamer Expo. Yeah, okay. That year. Um, they put us in a basement. <laughs> I, was, I, thought was, I thought it was appropriate, nerds in a basement. It kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and I was standing there for quite a long time, queuing up to get into the expo hall. And while I was doing so, I was playing Steam World Dig for the first time. Oh, right. It was awesome. People were looking at my shoulder going, what the hell's that? And they were looking at it going, that's amazing. It's <laughs> it's like Dig Dug, only not as tedious. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It's the best compliment I can play. Give you. It's like Dig Dug, only not as tedious. <laughs> it would, have, you know, it would have sufficed with this game is not entirely tedious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then someone said, "No, it's more like Boulder Dash." Yes, it looks like that too. 
granted. But, yeah, but but that brings us up more or less sort of up to date, I think, because I'd like to move on to the next question. Yeah, let's do that. Please, please. Um, As a creator of things, what do you sort of, what is your biggest influence? Well, okay, Uh, I'd have to answer personally about that, but I'd also want to remind you that everything that is done at, at Image and Form is, is a team effort. So Indeed. It's, so I'm really addressing you through sure, yeah. you to your team. What do you sure. think? Of course. Think, what right. do you think influences <laughs> Image and Form? What is it? What is the thing that you find yourself orbiting around more than anything, whether you like it or not? Yeah, well, it's just it's, – it's good, good games and good yeah. gameplay. And um, obviously we are still working in – in 2d or, or like, uh, we're making 2d games and all, all the games that we've s- sort of are known for are 2d games. It's, and that's not necessarily uh, important to us. I mean, uh, um, for steam will dig, I mean, yeah, since we're there, like one, the, the major influences right then were, um, so in 2013, Minecraft was sort of peak or, still not hadn't reached its its peak right but but we realized that god people are really into mining and i can't help myself i i need to play some more minecraft a lot of people in the office were really hooked on it and uh, and there's something beautiful about mining it's not it's not that you sort of chip away stuff and and make a path for yourself but it's like you never, you don't know what you're going to find if it's, you stop it's digging. More, I found. I mean, this, I'm, I'm hinting at a question. I'm hinting at a question later on, but maybe I found it's not so much it, mining. Seems to people think it's a destructive process. Yeah, so technically yeah. it is, but it's also <clears throat> creative at the same time because you're yeah. creating a tunnel by removing spoil. Uh, and you know, personally for me, uh, Minecraft I regard as a horror game. Most people think it's a creative game. I find it terrifying because I've always played Minecraft in a traditional way because I played Minecraft from back in the early days when all it was was build something, otherwise you're going to die. Yeah. And, and that's what I tell people. Like, what? It's, it's horror. It's a horror game. These yeah. things come out and kill you unless yeah. you build something quickly and efficiently. Now. You know, and that, that, that's the only way I've ever played Minecraft. Most people play it in a creative mode. Never yep. touched it. No, it's all about death for me. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> and obviously, I mean, that's how it was sort of in the, um, from the beginning, that yes. was there, right? That was so it. it. That was there. Yeah. It's like, yep, yeah, okay. That's, it's a horror game. I get yep. it. <laughs> that's probably what he wanted to create. And then he realized if everyone is, Everyone except you is more interested <laughs> in the creative process. I like the excitement, like the adrenaline rush. You know, I just go crazy. Eventually, yeah. I got better and better at it to the point where my my I was no longer afraid because I I built a fortress from hell <laughs> that anything got anywhere near it at any time was going to die. Except ooh, even, sometimes myself, uh, you know, <laughs> lava pit, oh, that is moat, him. another lava pit, trebuchet. Oh, <laughs> and they would sit. It's like, oh, I'm, it's so quiet. It's so nice. Nobody can come and visit. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, but that was that was um, that was one of the um, the influences or inspirations for Steam Will Dig, definitely. Mm. And uh, another one was uh, um, a game 
game for uh, XP LA Xbox uh, Live Arcade called Miner Dig Deep. Oh it yes, was, this game was awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> it's very nice. Yeah, that was like come out of nowhere. Yeah, no one was playing it. Like it's an actual indie game. No one plays those. I know, no, but nobody plays indie know, games. But there's exactly. a couple. Right. There's you know, was it somewhere you you mount my mount your friends? That was one. Yeah, mount your friends. Yeah, Jesus, what a yeah. game! <laughs> what a strange and fantastic. Yeah, game. The, 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 there's some physics in that game which we can't that, talk about. In this some show. physics, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the mount your friends uh, is a game which you should check out. And yeah, I still yeah. It. yeah, but yeah, the minor dig deep is awesome too. Yeah, yeah, I definitely but, and, influence there. Yeah, but, yeah, but so other good games you're saying, yeah, really sort is. of inventive. Looking out there, not living in a bubble, going, that's awesome, that's great, that's awesome. So. Yeah. I think, like, if, if, you're, if you're a musician, like, you're going to be, you're going to be influenced by, by other people, but you're not going to just sort of steal their, their lyrics straight off. Or, no, or like, no. like the chord, or what do you call it, the chord progression from, uh, from a chorus or something no. like that. It, it's just, that's not how it works. But, but you can sort of, <clears throat> you can tell... <clears throat> when people are influenced by others, like we're, you, we might as well just be, be open about it that we Minecraft and minor dig deep. And there was, there was another game called mother load for, um, it was a, it was sort of, um, uh, one, it was a flash game. So like if, if the developer of mother load is listening, it like you're really an inspiration. It, we didn't think it looked very nice, but it was, it definitely played quite nice. And it was, and and then there's the the unearthing thing itself. I'm extremely um, um, like um, curious about that. I mean, it, when you dig in your garden, you find something, right? It's like like some old rusty um, um, piece of metal or something. I'm, I get, I go almost ballistic with excitement because I'm wondering, Oh, I found something from the stone age. Well, maybe not the stone age because it's, yeah. it's iron, but like Probably, some, yeah, it might be it's a relic, yeah, right? Exactly. Relic. Yeah, yeah. And it turns always, there's like some hook or something that I forgot. And then it just got pushed down right in the ground. Yeah. But like my, I'd really like to go on vacation somewhere to like uh, some shore somewhere where, with a metal detector right. and my wife, and my wife, right? And she will, I'll go with a metal detector and she'll, she'll operate the shovel. So whenever I find something, she'll, she'll dig for it and I'll start going off. I don't think she wants to join me, but it would be a perfect vacation, I think. <laughs> I'm sure it would. Maybe less for your wife, though. Um, you did hint at this earlier, but what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? <clears throat> oh, that's, that's a very good it's very good. I mean, there. Well, obviously, there, there are very many. It's uh, one. One is. Yeah, it's yeah. a hard question to answer because a lot of people I've had on go, but I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> no, because <laughs> I've forgotten and, them. <laughs> no, okay, very good. Uh, <laughs> like a big one, the the first one for me, and and uh, like continues to just sort of uh, amaze us the whole time is Nintendo themselves. I think they've uh, they've come up with some really fantastic games and then obviously there's some people behind there that are probably more amazing than others or or maybe they're like me they're just hogging all the credit for for all of nintendo so miyamoto-san is fantastic of course and then 
there is a an indie developer called Lucas Pope who is uh, who is just something else. He is um, he's the guy who made Papers Please. Oh yes, I thought I knew that name. That's why I, I sort of yeah. just, um, went a bit silent. And well, yeah, I know that yeah. name. Oh, it's him. Yeah, yep. that, that, that there's a game. Imagine trying to pitch that to a major mainstream developer. <laughs> publisher. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's a mystical, <laughs> like mythical Eastern in the eighties. You're on a border and yeah. you're basically sort of vetting people as they come through. Yeah. Please stop pushing me. I've looked. I've got this really serious. Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And but everything's grey and it, oh, it's, it's, just, it's you describe so it depressing. People, yeah, and you're yeah. like, why would you play this? Why? Yeah. But and I would. Yeah. I would I would not stop playing it. It no. was it was fun, really fantastic. Horrible, and then, in all yeah. the wrong ways. But it's just it's brilliant, a fantastic brilliant. game. But it is it makes you ask all sorts of questions of yourself as a person. <laughs> exactly right. And now he's he's working on um, another game that looks sort of like Amiga games from back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, I hate myself for forgetting what it's called. It's. Uh, Hang on, give me a second. I'll, uh, let me let me um, cheat here for a second. It is. Let's hope I can. It's it's the Obradin. That's right. It's the name of it. It's okay. Obradin. Okay. Looks very very interesting, and it's it, it like it's radically different. It's a totally different type of game. Yeah. He's so he's just he's brilliant. And then there is sorry for there's a third one that I I would really like to mention yeah, because yeah, it, yeah. It, there's this. Obviously, I, I, I get to hang around with a lot of Swedish developers. There is a Swedish studio called Simogo that made uh, a couple of mobile games called uh, Yearwalk and, uh, oh, and Device 6. Yes. Wow. It's Just, uh, Wow. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah, they're, they're mining, forgive the pun, some – I don't know where they're getting that stuff from, but it's extraordinary. Yeah, it is, Absolutely and it, it's so diversified, and yeah. it's everything is brilliant, and it's a. Do you know how many people they are? I mean, have you I read about them? I think it's about half a dozen, isn't it? Something ridiculous. It's two and a half person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I think they maybe they're three people now. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, uh, but it's just these. They're they're just so brilliant, and then there's there's a. Our good friends in in Gothenburg, who I think are just extraordinary as well, a company called Zoink, right? Is Zoink who makes uh, right now they're they're making a, a huge effort together with EA, a game called Fae, F E, um, and before they've made uh, just hilarious games uh, like Stick It to the Man, and uh, and a game that I really like called Zombie Vikings. It's just which has tremendous humour. It's just very very it's funny. It's hard to get. Uh... The humor in games. The the last one I laughed at really hard was the South Park game. But hey, it's South Park. What are you going to do? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't play it. Was it was it very good? You well, think? it's on sale for now for about you know ten dollars. So I highly recommend. <clears throat> it. Ah, right. But, yeah, but Wonderful. everyone I know is uh, <clears throat> convinced me to buy it, and I've played it now, and it's just one of the funniest funniest things I've played in a long time. Oh, um, marvelous! Really, yeah, really, I'll have really to check. It's basically an episode, just very long. And it does a lot of in-game like jokes about games, and the, the, okay. you know, a lot about like, turn-based turn-based sort of RPGs and like really well, this makes no sense. And it just it just why would you take oh it's your turn now to punch me? Okay. Like, this makes no sense, and it doesn't. It generally doesn't. But there it is. Um, one final question in the first half, and then we move on to the second. Sure, yeah. 
And it's my favourite question because it gives me a hint. It doesn't. But I like to think it gives me a hint about what you're working on next. Again, it doesn't. Um, what are you playing right now? Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> I have to okay. ask that because it's a podcast about video games. So. Obviously. <laughs> Let's see. So the, the game I'm playing right now is, um, I'll, I'll surprise you, it's, it's a game called um, Auralux Constellations. It's a... Uh, it's actually an iOS title. I'm playing it on my iPad. It is a, it is a brilliant real-time strategy game that probably flew under everyone's radar. Not it mine. Is, uh, I saw this at PAX, uh, PAX West. Oh, you did? Yeah, you did? Okay. I met the developer. Lovely man. Loves his, okay, loves his music. Uh, and yeah, I do know this game. It's an extraordinary piece of coding, isn't it? You have swarms yeah. of ships flying between planets, and they blow yep. the crap out of each other, and it gets rid of all the mess of generating resources and stuff just mm. kill everything yeah it's fantastic <laughs> so i do know I, love this, it. I do know this game we are of like mind my friend uh all right yeah i do know this I'm game very well yeah. yeah i forgot it's on ios i need to get that now thanks <laughs> it is it's, it's marvelous it's it's really um i think you can know i'm sure that you can download it for free and try it out and then if you like it then you can actually buy there are like lots of different um, uh, themes, I should say, or like, like, oh yeah. So it's set in space. So like, it looks like um, every level has the shape of a, a star sign. If you if you understand what I mean, like yeah, a, a star constellation. constellations, like the Plow yeah. or Orion, and that sort yep. of thing it has all those sort of constellations. And then you have these, you create large fleets of ships, or they appear from your planets. And then you right. start swarming other planets, the neutral planets, and then they become part of your empire. And then eventually you end up fighting the opposing empires. Or yep, it's just yep. A beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, and very simplified, like you said. Mm. I mean, it's mm. a, obviously it's you just do the most important thing, which is invade. <laughs> yeah, this is not Europa Universalis. It's not that. No, no, it is not that. <laughs> so, so it's that, and then uh, I'm. I've been trying to learn how to play Chinese chess. Um, it is, it is, it's almost like chess, or it's not at all like chess, but it's almost like chess. It's, um, it's frustrating because it's similar, but still, it's very, very different. And and like the, what do you call it? The um, the pieces, they don't have pictures on them, of course, because they have to make it so difficult. They have these Chinese characters on there. And you have to distinguish between them, and it's really hard. And uh, and the reason why I'm why I'm sort of trying to pick that up now is because I'm a total chess addict. Really, it's like I, okay. it's not a joke. It's uh, it's serious. No, it's no, like no. I, not, it's, it's chess for me. Unfortunately, yeah. as, as someone knows about coding, it's, my problem with chess is I find it is two patterns. Ah, right. mm-hmm. And I go, well, whoever's got the best pattern is going to win. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I see it objectively. It's like it's just two patterns smashing okay. against each other. Because everyone well, in has the, in the same sense there yeah, is. There is. And it's like, well, I've just got to have the best pattern that competes against the other pattern. And that's <laughs> and that's unfortunately I love love board games and tabletop mm-hmm. games. In fact the only type of gaming I don't like is war gaming. Uh sorry, take a drink everyone. Um uh it's just I don't like Taking a tape measure out to play a game. 
Tape measures are for doing carpets and windows. Not to play a freaking game. <laughs> that is wonderful. <laughs> so everything else, I'm game. I play D and D. I play. Yep. You know, I play. You know, Magic the Gathering. I play uh, board games. Like I play Scythe and stuff. Love all that. But war games get stuffed. <laughs> all right. Very good. We have like we have some. Uh, we have some devout people in the office uh, who play Warhammer. <laughs> yeah, okay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell them. But, oh, Chris said, yeah, just take a tape measure Chris, yeah. Chris told me that this is how it works, <laughs> yeah. actually. So I, I haven't played it, and I probably wouldn't have the patience. No, don't, don't. You're not missing for, for, Yeah. For some reason, though, I have, I have, I can perfectly sit and play chess for 12 hours straight. 12, yeah. really 12 hours straight. I mean, d- d- am I wrong? Is, am I wrong? Am I saying, am I oversimplifying the patterns? Yeah, you, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. No, I knew it. It's such a it's such a cold and heartless thing to say about chess. Yeah, All it yeah, is yeah, it's is a like, pair of patterns smashing against each other. That's but it, not, it's accurate, though. It's like yeah. the, it is what it is. And uh, I can't tell you what it is. But that That is just well, so... It's because there's so many patterns. That's why I love it. That's <clears> yeah, I get, I get it. But unfortunately, my yeah. brain's going, yeah, but Chris, it's just patterns. Yeah. <laughs> like, so what, that's not... Do- on that, so, yeah, on, on, on that note, we're going to yep. move on to the second half, where we delve deep into the Steam World games that you've so far made, which is, of course, Dig and Heist. Wonderful. So Brian, tell us, what are, what is, are, is, language, SteamWorld Dig and SteamWorld Heist, what are they? Very, Yeah, very good. So SteamWorld Dig is what we call a mining platform adventure. You play as this, uh, we call it, both games are called SteamWorld something mm. because they are set in this universe that we, uh, this world that we call SteamWorld. Yeah. And, and SteamWorld is actually... Um, it's not a geographical place because it is Earth, but it is uh, it is the future as it would look if uh, a certain British inventor would have um, had his way in the 19th century. And that's all true, actually. And then, uh, so in SteamWorld, the steam-driven robots are the good guys. And then, so in SteamWorld Dig, you play... Um, as this character, Rusty, who comes to a Western, sort of like a Wild West, typical um, cartoonish-looking Wild West uh, town, a small Wild West town, and and they need help with their mining because uh, something is wrong. These Their mines should be yielding more than they are. And he goes down and, and un- uncovers this great sort of uh yeah it, it escalates Eddie. pretty quickly everyone it really 
<laughs> he really does. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and because we ran out of money afterwards. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The, that... the pace is wonderful, but yeah, it did, <laughs> things get hairy very quickly. So what what you do in in, in Steam will dig is that you actually you what you dig out the underground, and when you've dug out. Uh, sort of a block of earth that block is gone forever and uh, with the um, what the tunnels and so on that remain uh, is your is also then your platform again because you sort of have to be able to get uh, up and down these these walls and so they remain whenever you dig something out that is your world map of the game yeah that's your which, platform you if you think yeah. it's hard to get up there well that's your fault <laughs> <laughs> right. you, you exactly that. you made that <laughs> you see that sheer face that you got to climb up now whose fault is that oh that's right <laughs> that was you wasn't it right I, I, so that's why i found myself just cursing myself oh you're an idiot you're a freaking idiot carry on exactly so and what you do is like while you're digging you find stuff mm. and you run into uh you run into small enemies and stuff, and you also run into. Uh, I don't think I'm spoiling too much that you're actually running into humans down there, who are, uh, who are basically turned into these cave dwelling, uh, low lives, sort of uh, liquor guzzling, uh, dynamite wielding um, uh, uh, hillbillies, if you like. So, and and we don't really t- in Steamworld dig we don't tell the story at all like what how did this world come about i mean what 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 is why are the humans why are why are steam driven uh, automatons running it because they're actually quite simple minded they're not very intelligent um and so we have a lot of stories to tell uh, that precede steam will dig and we haven't gotten there yet so um that so what about heist Steamworld Heist is um, came out in December 2015 and is a radically different game. It's set in the same world in in Steamworld, but it is a turn-based uh, combat strategy game where you can, if you can, if you excel at doing um, trick shots, bouncing bullets, and so on, you're going to be uh, cut out for this game. <laughs> So it's uh, both of those games are sort of uh, in a 2D um, side view perspective, but Steamworld Heist couldn't be, they couldn't be more different. No, um, no. one's a turn-based strategy game, uh, yeah. and the other's a platformer where you make your own platforms. Yeah, and they're yeah. also, the setting is quite different. I mean, the Steamworld Dig is set in the Wild West, whereas uh, uh, Steamworld Heist is set in space, yeah. where you're, yeah. you're, you're basically running this crew of... Uh, highly individual, um, steam-driven, uh, space, space robot pirates, if you like. And, and what you do is you fight these other factions of robots that are just too nasty to be around. You have to sort of take them out of service. Yes, uh, and we won't go into too much detail for fear of spoilers, but um, and I, I, I adore both games. They're fantastic, full of charm, and I don't mean that to patronise you. Um, they do have humour attached to them. The characters, the the way they talk to each other, right? They are, they have, they have hearts of gold, really. If they had any hearts, 
but they are just lovely people. For, but they are very simple, and they, they they just need you know they don't they don't ask for much. Uh, and uh, when they get hurt, he's like, oh, this is not right. This shouldn't be, you know. But uh, I, I do feel for them. But my my first question to you, my sort of first proper question is: This is on Steamworld Dig. This has the player creating the levels themselves as they dig through the soil. Was this intentional? Uh, yeah, it was. And in the beginning, it was um, it, it was it was very much intentional. I should just answer it and then give you the long blah blah uh, spiel about how we how it came about. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning. <clears throat> In the beginning, we wanted uh, that's we had that in mind from the very start. So, so the game was always going to do that. But uh, uh, we realized that um, when we tested it ourselves, we sort of raced to the bottom. We just dug straight down to to sort of see what was down there. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. How, how does how does it end? You do. Yeah. You right? just want to see what I mean. You know. <laughs> I'm going to, I want to see the Earth's mantle at this point. Let's keep going. Yeah, exactly right. So, so to sort of counter that, we designed it to that we didn't have a wall jump in the big uh, at the uh, at the very start of the game, and for a very long time we didn't have it, which meant that you sort of had to dig and zigzag down to be able to get back up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was we would we would sort of tell ourselves that we called it intelligent digging, that you had to dig intelligently. But it was really, we were just fooling ourselves, basically. Because what we were so afraid of was that if we designed the game so that you could actually dig straight down, the game would be over in, in, in 30 seconds. Right? So right. <laughs> we, we and, and, and like external I testing. See. So you just put contrivances in. To prevent people from doing that, like you can't dig through that. Why? Because your pickaxe is not good enough. Right. Brilliant. <laughs> so we, it, it, like all of that is just design decisions because we, because we were desperate for people not to finish the game in in less than a minute. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and but we could we could tell very clearly that when we had friends coming over to test the game and we would just sit quiet next to them and and tell them to be really honest, they. Like one of the guys who was playing the game, his first question that came out after some some serious intelligent digging was, "How long do I have to play this for?" And uh, we realized that we this is just everything is wrong. We can't the game cannot be like this. No. Um, it's it's just not pleasing. And so we it dawned on us that wait a minute. I mean because of gravity shouldn't earth be like it should get more and more dense as the 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 further down you get right maybe maybe it doesn't work like that but but we we thought that was plausible at least so that means that it'll take longer and longer to get through these um uh, through through these uh, chunks of of dirt so that means that you'll want to upgrade your digging equipment and maybe not only a pickaxe maybe you You'll want some other equipment. The drill, uh, natural find. drill. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you get a yeah. drill, and you get this strange kind of steam-driven punch, like where you just sort of, um, sort of like a what do you call it? like a jack? No, not not, jack not, not a jackhammer. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe something like that. Yeah. But that'll be interesting. Okay. Very good. And we'll have to have some sort of economy to drive this. So you actually, all right. So you you find stuff underground. You 
get up to the surface, you sell it, you you buy your you use your proceedings to buy better equipment and stuff that you want to have. Like for some reason you can buy teleporters because it's very, very nifty in this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also <laughs> you, the, the light mechanic as well is quite yeah, extraordinary. Yeah. You, you, because you're underground, it makes sense that sunlight isn't going to get to you. So you need light down mm. there and it starts off well, but then eventually it gets less and less and becomes more and more claustrophobic. Uh, yeah, and it, and, it, that, and that happens for for a good reason because uh, you're you're down there and you don't you're not carrying a torch. You you have this since you're a steam driven robot. You have this furnace on your stomach, right, yeah. where you're burning coal. And that as the coal sort of what happens is like there's less and less coal, and the, the light actually starts to dim. Like a, the circle of light around you gets just smaller, smaller and, smaller and smaller, smaller the whole. Yeah, yeah. And then you can sort of find stuff that uh, that sort of replenishes the light yeah should obviously just be coal and when i think about yeah, it but it, yeah it's something else isn't it it's but um this leads me on to my next question really <clears throat> sure is that yeah both the steam world games that i've played i know you mentioned the third which i was unaware of them embarrassed to admit but uh but the, the, the two games <laughs> oh, well, the... i know you've released them as a bundle on a ps4 that's why we're we're talking here now today but um but there's a strong sense of progression both of these games to the point where you do certain things and more and more of the world and the game become opens up to you again mm. is this a core design do you think this is a core core design philosophy within image and form games yeah i think i really think so because yeah. we um it sort of goes back to one of the core reasons why we thought we wouldn't be a good fit for free to play games because we really want to make um um we want to have a, a story progression and also other kinds of progression in our games where you actually feel that you're getting somewhere when you play them. Um, and it, because it's, it's gratifying. It's, it's really interesting to, to put together a story for a game. Like this is how it's going to start. This is how it's going to end. There's going to be a lot of fluff in the middle. Let's see what, let's make it so that people can play it in different ways if they want to. Um, but in the end they will have, they will end up where we want them to, but the game is not going to go on forever, forever. It's, uh, it's when we want people to progress through the game and when they're done with the game, have a feeling of accomplishment of some kind. And it just love the, drip feed it's not too it's not too much you're not overwhelming the player because you do introduce more and more mechanics more and more things just yeah. it's just every little bit it's like, it's like breadcrumbs not so much breadcrumbs really it's like, a, it's like a, i think of it like a series of steps or, or, or mm. a ladder or, almost where you just yeah. you get more and more you get better and better uh, and, and you find more areas that open up to you it's a little bit like the zelda model but not quite uh, it's, it's a little bit like it, though. Yeah, it, it's slightly comparable, but yeah, it's a the the and it's very hard to make games like that where you sit. I mean, for take Steam will dig, for example. If you told someone about that game, it's like, so what is it about? Well, you play this little robot that that digs, and then he finds stuff, and then he goes up and sells it, and then he goes down and digs, and then all right, but what happens then? Well, he digs some more, right? <laughs> and it's like. How do you keep that? How do you keep the the player playing the game? Yeah, the the balance is 
there's so much time that goes into that. It's like in Steamwell Dig, I, th- I actually, like although we made it ourselves, I, th- I actually think it's very well balanced. It's like um, um, just about when you when you when you're ready to think that okay, this was interesting. I really wish something new was going to happen in this game now. And right about when that thought strikes you is is when you run into a new yeah. uh, upgrade. Uh, sort something of like a, different. Yeah, where you, where you find something that, that yeah. will en- enhance your... You get a new ability or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating how how that sort of works. And as you play the game... If you play that game a lot of times, you'll notice that you you'll bore more quickly if if you use if we can use the word you get bored more yeah. quickly yeah. Uh, because you know the game from before. But obviously, since you're better at the game, you're playing it faster too. So it it sort of again it hits you at the right very right moment yeah. like in the game. Yeah. You can't look forward to the changes and like oh yeah. I can't do the fast running yet, but it will be yeah. eventually. Yeah. Um, Steel Heist, though, is is a very very different thing, though, because we what we wanted to for the longest time during development of that game, and we actually we spent close to two years making that game, which was which is very expensive if you have a, have a studio like, uh, yeah. around say I think we were like thirteen, twelve, thirteen when we started on that game, and and ended up being eighteen at the end of it. It was um um. In the beginning, we actually wanted to make it uh, into a roguelike game where, like, your character would, uh, if if one of them got killed, that character wouldn't be in the game anymore for that right. session. Right. Uh, and also, if you failed a mission, you would start from the very beginning uh, again, which was, it felt awful. <laughs> it, was, it was so... Uh, I've those, never. It's I've hard ne- to make those work. Yeah, it, it must I mean, be. Yeah, it must Galaxy be so hard. You know, very well. <clears throat> I, I, Galaxy is one of my favourites. Um, <clears throat> Biden of Isaac works well because of how they're set up. They're, they're built from the ground up yeah. to be that way. But yeah, yeah. I think the way. I mean, it goes into when it's question for you on the heist is that it is an RTS game, and it yeah. does have. Um, you know, it's very different to Dig in many regards. The only similarities between the two. Quite frankly, oh, they both have robots in them, and they set in the same world. Other than that, it's totally different. But I think what I was going to ask you is the difference. We keep on calling it real-time strategy. Well, no, it's not, it's not real-time. It's turn-based. But there is a real-time element to the game. Sure, yeah, yeah. The aiming and the shooting. Yeah. Why? And well, it's um, <laughs> it's a really important thing, and and yeah. it was the only it was the thing that that made us make the game in the beginning because okay. uh, like when we made, like I was talking about Steam will dig that we were influenced by Minecraft, etc. Uh, when we made that game. Well, at the time of the conception of, of, um, of, uh, Steam will heist, uh, a lot of people in the, in the office were playing XCOM and, uh, they were fascinated by it. Um, I didn't play it myself, but when people started since I'm such a chess freak, when they started talking about turn-based strategy, I was, uh, I had a semi-boner at that, you know, already. <laughs> so it was, uh, I was sold on the idea. But uh, 
But the, the cool thing was that because we discussed it, we, we would sit at lunch breaks and they would say, it's like, like XCOM is, is so great, this, and this is so cool, blah, 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 blah. And then someone just said, wouldn't it be cool if we made a, a 2D um, XCOM-ish game seen from the side? And then someone said, yeah, but how would we solve A, B, and C? And then and then there would, would always be sort of like back and forth about that. And before we knew it, we sort of had this idea of, of a game that you saw from the side that would – that would use the one thing that that very many other games, except for one notable exception, which is Worms, uh, um, don't use. Like a lot of these other games use just, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, the, it? A dice roll. Like yeah, when you dice sh- rolling, yeah. Yeah. So when you shoot... Well, XCOM like, used dice rolling. I mean, you'd be... That's what I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, XCOM 2's terrible for it. Well, notorious <laughs> for it. Well, you're standing right next to him. Right next to him. You're shooting yeah. him with a shotgun in the face, and it yeah. says, oh, he missed. <laughs> well, it's, maybe you were aiming the other way, right? No, it's like, I mean, it's, 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 it's up there with the best strategy games that you and I play, probably, yeah, by the sounds of things, yeah. where it's like, but I'm right next to him. Yeah, no, but you rolled a one. I don't care. Yeah, I don't know, so, gum and, or something. What? Right. <laughs> exactly. Or you forgot about it. Yeah. <laughs> you started reading the paper instead. It was a that that was that was the thing that we wanted to make something that was actually skill based, like where, where it wasn't chance based, and and the two D um, element actually made a m- made that happen for us, or made that possible because we could we could make we could use these. Like almost like a, a thing from billiards or, or pool, um, where you where you were sort of bounce the ball around to hit another ball. You well, you know how it pulls. Yeah, yeah. Um, where, but but in this game, like we could we could use it for trick shots, like um, shooting bullets that way. Mm. With um, and the cool thing about it is that you'd think that robots are built to be steady. That's why they robots work in car factories and so on today, right? Mm-hmm. But um, but in Steamworld Heist, when they aim, they have this slight, slight sway to the aim, like that you you will have to time the shot when you think it's going to hit, uh, when you think you have the perfect headshot aim, that's when you squeeze yeah, the trigger. Yeah, the amount of times I've shot people's hats off is lost count, really. Yeah, but aren't you happy about that? Because it's you great, actually yeah. collect it, yeah. yeah you can collect clipped. those hats. Yeah, and I've just clipped it. Like, Yeah, but I was meant to shoot his head, but you got a hat, though. Yeah. And it is a really nice bowler hat. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Which is dangerous in itself because, yeah. I mean, there's there, I mean, there are more hats than guns in the game. There, there, I think there are 100 and, 140. 40 or 150 different hats and yeah. every hat has their own story right and there are more than 100 different guns in, yeah. in Steamworld Heist it's a great reference to uh, Team Fortress 2 <laughs> very very much so yeah because <laughs> so so many people in the office were were, were so in love with uh, Team Fortress 2 as well right. so it's really and like I said before we we didn't we didn't copy the hats, but yeah, we very, no, very yeah. much loved the idea of the hats. Yeah. yeah. So you literally put it in the game. That's awesome. Yeah. But the thing is that yeah. when you shoot the hat off an enemy, uh, like if he is wearing a really, really rare hat, and there are some, re- 
some seriously rare hats in Stimul Heist. You can be in this, this, this awful predicament where you're low on life, but here comes a, a, an enemy towards you, um, and he has this hat that you really want. I mean, if you shoot the hat, <laughs> if you shoot the hat for, in order to grab it later, you're going to die. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to cost you that shot, and yeah. you have to sit there. It's like, what do I do? It's like, <laughs> do I kill him? Because then you don't get the hat if you yeah. kill him. Like yeah. then, then the hat. The, mysteriously disappears so you have to shoot the hat off yeah. to get it and it's um i i i, I really love steel heist myself it's it, of course this is horrible I, i'm just sitting at, telling people that our games are great but i actually think they are really good it's um and we spent so much time polishing them so uh, i think that they're really neat and i love this idea of mixing um then uh like Worms and XCOM and uh, uh, Team Fortress 2. <laughs> and, and, and Paul into, yeah. into uh, yeah, it is, I just, I had to ask you that question. Uh, sure. But there's one last question I've got to ask. I know all good things come to an end, sad, but this is the last one. The universe of SteamWorld is a very dark one. Humans being an almost distant memory, only robots being the last vestiges of our existence. I want to ask, this is this very dark story, um, how does it impact the design of uh, SteamWorld games, if, if at all? That's really interesting that you, that you see it that way, because I, I think of, um, I think of, of the SteamWorld games not, they're obviously quite bleak for humanity, mm. <laughs> but the robots are sort of surviving like the bad guys have gone away and the good guys are still standing actually that's that's my perspective of of steamworld is okay. it's like um maybe we don't have something to compare with but what if there was this really nasty um, um let's say that we lived while like really aggressive dinosaurs were alive uh, let's let's put it that way and they were just they were just uh, a menace to everyone, and for, and uh, due to extreme stupidity, they managed to vanish themselves from the planet. Now, is that a bad thing? Like that that someone who's really dumb um, bites his own bullet? I I think it's it's a relief almost. I think right. Um, right. it it it's only from from. The human perspective that that Steam World is is a dark place. Yeah, it's, yeah. um, whereas this is sort of after the fa fact. Uh, the the games that have come out is definitely after the fact. Like uh, the the humanity has blown itself to smithereens, and the the only people left on the planet, the only humans left, are the ones that they didn't even bother bombing, and. Uh, and here are the the creations are taking over, but they are not Terminator type robots. They're they're what you could expect if they were uh, developed sometime uh, in the late nineteenth century, mm. which is sort of like a mix between um, like uh, uh, steampunk and wild west creatures, and very. S 
quite simple, uh, simple machines. Yeah. And how did that inform the games? The games, do you think? How did that influence the design, if at all? Um, well, obviously, uh, I think the um, the very fact that they're steam-driven robots is sort of uh, um, we're definitely sort of flirting with with steampunk right there. Mm. And also in in sort of menus and so on, you can you can sort of tell, tell that that is that is um, the state of the art of the of the time. And then also, like there is there is this interesting time where you have towards the end of the 19th century and just around the 19th century, everything that you and me are sort of or stuff that you and me are still using today came about at that time. This sort of all Humanity has sort of ended uh, its reign, reign before the inventions that we were talking about just before, mm. like uh, uh, the combustion engine and so on. Yeah. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> like, what happens is the robots sort of have to evolve, evolve themselves. They they can they can do they can do simple thinking, and obviously they can they can put together things that are maybe more advanced than themselves. Maybe maybe very much like that we can do. I mean I'm doing obviously I'm gonna do chess reference again. I'm, <laughs> I'm there's like the world championship is being played right now between uh, my favorite player Magnus Carlsen and and another guy <laughs> that that who is not my favorite. And uh, and while I'm watching these games, I'm watching the computer evaluation of the position. And in a sense, if both of those players were playing exactly the moves that the computer were was uh, proposing, you would have the perfect game. Like they wouldn't be making any mistakes. But that's uh, yeah. But that's the core of of, of that game. Exactly. That's it. The yeah. Other, um, even though they may know chess back back to front, that's not yeah. the point. Um, it's it's the it's the. Um, um, flaws in their mm. moves. That's what you exploit. The the single chink in their armor. Oh look, yep. they're exploiting that. Even <laughs> though they know four moves from now, that's going to end up really bad for them. <laughs> and, they're, right. and they're thinking the same about the, the opponent. That's how it all works. So. Yeah, and I think like that's also sort of um, the robots in Steam will Dig are really simple. Like like. Quite a few hundred years must have passed between Steamworld Dig and Steamworld Heist in order for them to to be to be more advanced in, yeah, in yeah. Steamworld Heist. Yeah. Because out of necessity, they've had to invent space travel, uh, yes, for example, for reasons, <laughs> for reasons, <laughs> for reasons. <laughs> reasons that may be yeah, maybe quite important <laughs> later on yep exactly and but the yes yes yeah so that's that's where it's at it's uh they have to evolve as 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 we have been able to make machines that are on a level that that we'll never be at ourselves right. it's really interesting well Thank you very, very much for being so candid and open about Steamworld Games and your own history and making games. It's been fascinating to talk to you. Um, we'd love to have you back on when you make your next game, whatever that may be. Um, but uh, 
Let's just let's, let's, so Steam World. It's out on PS4. Uh, both games are as a bundle. Highly, highly recommend it. You can buy it on the or disc, or you can just download it like most people do these days. Uh, where else can you find Steam World games? Yeah, of course, very good. So uh, it's uh, Steam World Dig is out for. They're almost out for the same things. So let's put it that way. Mm. So both both games are out for uh, Nintendo 3DS and Wii U, yeah. uh, and PlayStation 4 and Vita, mm. and and uh, PC, Mac, and Linux. Yeah. Then uh, SteamWorld Dig is out for Xbox One as well, and uh, SteamWorld Heist is out for iOS, so iPhones and and iPads. Yeah, it works really well on iPad actually. Although my preferred my preferred platform is 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 Vita. Because of that screen. <laughs> that screen. <laughs> it's just so nice. Yeah, anyway. Um, so, uh, Brian, it's been fantastic having you on, as I've said already. Um, I do wish you the very best of luck, you and your team. Uh, and uh, I can only thank you for making the Steam World games because they do make the world a slightly better place. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. It's been just a, a pure pleasure talking to you and a great... And a hoot is, yeah, it's some people just make you laugh like, <laughs> like you do. So thank you so much for doing that. I'm, I'm glad to be of service. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there you just look up the sausage factory and you can find us that'd be great you can follow me on twitter at chris o'regan no apostrophes and uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com also don't forget to check out the computer game show which is the Stablemate podcast, should we say, on Spawn.com. Bye!